Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem those that were under the law. That's Galatians 4, verse 4. And with that verse, I welcome you to tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here with a very special program and a guest that you'll meet in just a moment. But this is my first show post-Thanksgiving. I trust that you all had a good Thanksgiving. I hope you had a very special time with family and friends and loved ones, and hope you had a moment to really, in your heart, be thankful to God for all the blessings that He gives us. And in my heart, uh, we're heading into the Christmas season, my absolute favorite time of year. This Sunday coming up will be the first Sunday in Advent, and really, uh, I want to encourage each of us throughout the month of December to be thinking about God's love and the coming of Christ and Christmas. And, you know, those things give us a, a appreciation and, and a gratefulness in our heart. And we'll talk about that because we really do have so much for which to be grateful. We've got a great show tonight, and I want to introduce our special guest. But first, I want to give you a couple of phone numbers. For one, the number for prayer and encouragement. If you need to talk with somebody or you uh, you know, in the context of this show, you think about just a, a need that you would like to know what God's Word says about your life situation, or you want to pray with somebody. The number for spiritual encouragement and prayer is 719-635-1111, 719-635-1111. But if you have a question for myself or our guest, Bill Yo, the number for questions we'll get to in about about 25, 26 minutes. That number, if you have a Bible question or other comment to make, that number is 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. This is Truth and Liberty. And uh, we're very privileged tonight to have on someone. I'm just very eager to hear about the new book, Unvarnished Faith, by author, speaker, business owner, Bill Yo. Bill has agreed to be with us tonight and has a fascinating story. And uh, first of all, Bill, I want to welcome you to Truth and Liberty and thank you for making time to be with us tonight. So uh, hey. trust you and your family had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, We did. We did. Yes. Thank you, Alex. And uh, as, as you said, it's, it's definitely my favorite time of the year as well. And uh, great, a great weekend filled with some gratitude, filled with some service and uh, a lot of family time and some food. So that was enjoyable. Well, you know, I was reading your, your bio, and uh, you went to Duke University, which is near mm -hmm. where we live in North Carolina, so I feel mm -hmm. a little bit of a bond with you already, but give us some of your backstory and your book, Unvarnished Faith, that I want to uh, drill down into, but how did, how did the Lord bring you to where you are in your journey, Bill? Sure, no, and thanks for asking that. Um, so I am uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. I'm the youngest of five. Uh, we were I was raised in an Episcopalian household, um, you know, baptized, confirmed. Um, and uh, as, as you've mentioned, I went to Duke for my undergrad and I moved out to the West Coast for a while and 
found my way back to Philadelphia for uh, for a girl I'd started dating before I moved out there, and now she's my wife of 26 years and mother of our three children. Um, so kind of a perpetual student, so I ended up going to, to uh, get an MBA a few years later. Um, but my faith sort of during this whole time had been, I'd say, kind of fallow. Um, you know, the seeds were planted, but there wasn't a lot going on. And um, in, in 2015, that all changed when my mom died, um, which was, you know, understandably a very sad time, losing losing my mother, losing a parent. But it was also a very beautiful time because, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a late June afternoon and there was a beautiful sunset coming through the window. And, you know, we were with her and, and knew the moment that her pain and suffering ended when she went to be with the Lord. And uh, in that moment, I didn't really have the words to describe it at the time, but but God pushed on my chest, physically pushed on my chest. And and what I took away from that moment was that, you know, he wanted me to do be doing things differently than I was doing with my life. And um, mm -hmm. so within a few months, I decided to pull out of most of uh, the management duties in a 25-year business career in, in my family's uh, business. Uh, a few months later, started attending a small group. Uh, a few months later, with some friends, started a small group. Then some overseas mission work came through. Then some local ministry work came through. Uh, I felt a call actually to convert from Episcopalian to Roman Catholicism, which my uh, wife and, and children are all Roman Catholics. And I felt called to that church. And uh, so then made that decision. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic hit and, and that really accelerated a lot more things around my faith journey, including wanting to write this book on um, on, on one of the mission trips that you mentioned on Varnished Faith, and uh, mm -hmm. also spent the pandemic getting a master's in ministry and theology. So wow. really, since that time in 2015, I, I've a lot of what I've been doing has been around my faith journey. And now it, it's sort of the central rudder, if you will, of all the different things I do, whether they're business or uh, startup or volunteer, or even, you know, outside of any kind of work or vocation. So, um, you know, that's kind of brought me to where I am with you today. Amen. Well, there are a lot of things I want to ask you about, but first of all, I want to ask where can people find the book, Unvarnished Faith by Bill Yeo. Sure. That's the book and the author. Where may people get this book? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So um, it's available on Amazon, um, and that's probably the easiest place to get it. It's in a few local bookstores, but probably none where most of your listeners are. Um, and also you can go to unvarnishedfaith.com, which is my website, and that has links to the books, that has links to my newsletter, that has links to uh, another book I published a few years ago. I, I also write a lot of poetry, and much of that is faith-based. So I have a number mm -hmm. of my poems up on there, and um, you know, just all things about the book, and even explaining what what unvarnished faith is, because that's probably a new term to a lot of people. So, sure. And uh, you know, sometime maybe we won't in the context of this show. I want to talk about writing poetry because that's another. Mm -hmm not only a great art form, but it's a great expression of worship. It, it certainly can be, sure. but let me ask the, the obvious yeah. question. What is unvarnished faith? So un unvarnished faith, uh, it, was, it was a term that uh, came out of my experience on my first uh, mission trip to Nicaragua. My brother mm -hmm. Jeff and his wife Suzanne have a, a Christian food, food ministry in the Carolinas, a little south of where you are. Um, and they they pack and distribute meals to underserved communities, both domestically and around the world. And I think there's somewhere around like 26 million meals that they've prepared, uh, you know, and, and facilitated different communities and faith communities to prepare. And a lot of that food over the years has gone to Nicaragua. And uh, I had a chance to make a trip down there. And uh, one of the first people that we met while we were there was this woman named Maria. And she lived in a trash dump. Um, and I think they took mm. us, you know, us gringos, us, us uh, you know, uh, 
sort of privileged Americans, North Americans there first to really, you know, kind of rattle our cages. But she lived in a trash dump. I met her father who lived in the trash dump. So presumably she was raised there and she was raising her children there. And um, it's just an unimaginable environment. I mean, literally like piles of trash on fire. Obviously, there's no health care, no education, no running water, uh, those kinds of things. And um, our, our group leader, our trip leader, asked this woman on our behalf, you know, well, you, you living here and all this, how, how does this make you feel? And she said, yo estoy contenta. I am happy. And mm. you could have knocked us over with a feather when, when Maria tells us that she's happy given everything we're looking at and absorbing and smelling and seeing. And he said, well, can you please explain that? And she said, well, the reason I'm happy is that today I woke up and I didn't know how I was going to feed my children. I prayed to God and he sent you with food. So right now I'm happy. Wow. And I was just so moved by the clean cleanliness and the simplicity of her faith um, in this way where she had a need, she turned to her Lord, the Lord provided for her, and that made her happy. Um, you know, there, were, there weren't any of these kind of denominational or doctrinal divides that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, sort of mainline traditions and, and different things might have here in America, certainly in my Episcopalian and Roman Catholic backgrounds. Um, no real platitudes, nothing else. It was just, it stripped away all those things that really create barriers and differences and just opened up this idea of faith and of Christianity in a way where if we remove all those things, and again, those things are important, those unique denominational doctrinal divides, because if there are ways sure. that you feel more connected to God, if you feel more ingrained in your community, I, I, yeah. I wholeheartedly support those things. But if those things get in the way of the central messages of God is love, and we're called to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, that we're called to discern our talents and, and gifts to help others, particularly those that are um, you know, less fortunate, if if it gets in the way of some of those things, it's a problem. So it really, I was trying to think about that and just this idea of, of unvarnished faith is what came out of that and bounced it off some people who liked it. And uh, so for a while, and I think it may still be the case, if, if you go out and Google it, the two things you'll find are my book and my trademark application, because you know the, the term didn't really exist before, but it's sure. really spilled over into a lot of different ways in terms of things that I do now in terms of living my life and where I apply you know, my time and energy. Sure. And and let me say, folks, if you're uh, going to get the book Unvarnished Faith, it has almost 100% five-star reviews on Amazon. It's been incredibly well-received. And, you know, uh, visiting another country like that or serving others, Bill, both of those will, will do a heart change in somebody. Mm -hmm. And, you know, frankly, we are so blessed in America and we have it so much abundance don't you think it's actually a very healthy thing, even though it might be a little bit of culture shock, but isn't it a healthy thing for we pampered Americans to go to these countries and see people that just live in indigence and they really don't have much of anything, and yet very often they're just very happy people? Um, it's a right. wake-up call, but isn't it a healthy one for, for we? Alex, you know? I, I, I totally agree. Um you know, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry that it took me, you know, four and a half plus decades till I finally made my first trip to somewhere like that. But, but of course, as we also know, sadly, you, you needn't get on a plane and fly thousands of miles, you know, pretty much any zip code or neighboring zip code of any, almost anywhere in the country is going to have, you know, an underserved population. But one of the things to your point that I would come away with is, and I reflect on this in the book is, okay, when, when I'm on these mission trips, and I've had the chance to do, you know, a few overseas one and a lot of local ones now, Who's ministering to whom is sort of what comes up with that. And, and you know, clearly exactly. if, 
if we're coming and we're bringing food and we're praying over people that 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 lack and that want and that are hungry, you know, there's there's ministry and support there. But what we're getting back, what I got back from Maria, what your experiences have talked about, you know, the 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 real lens that you see um, is is can be really life changing. And for me, it was. And and you know, one of the ways I landed with it is that. You know, my privilege enabled me to travel to Nicaragua, but my privilege also deluded me into thinking I knew what made people rich. And it was yeah. it was getting to walk with, interact with, and and bond and connect with people in places like uh, Nicaragua, places like uh, Central uh, Africa, um, places even here in Philadelphia. Um, you know, some of the some of the, the poorest, most impoverished, kind of drug ridden, homelessness uh, rampant places in the country, um, you know, it really gives you a very different appreciation for what matters in, in the world. And, you know, the chance, I, I just wish I could have done this sooner. You know, it's been said that, that gratitude is the mother of all other virtues. And, you know, listen, I'm, I'm preaching it myself here, but one thing that does concern me about America, we've, we've been blessed, we're so, uh, you know, we have such abundance but I, I meet a lot of people, and they're not grateful, and they, mm -hmm. they grouse about what they don't have. And mm -hmm. and I, I've told many people, look, just travel to a third world country right. or go to a right. developing nation. Um, what? How important would it be for us as Americans to really be grateful for what we do have, Bill? Right, right. And 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 sadly, Alex, I, I agree with you, and and I think it takes getting thrown out of this uncomfortable comfort zone that we're in, because it feels comfortable, but it really isn't when you get the perspective on it. So yeah, I, I sort of riff a little bit about, you know, we, we complain about slow, slow Wi-Fi at Starbucks or, you know, the the the, <laughs> the sweet potato fries at Applebee's are too salty or whatever the case. There's no parking. First you know, these kinds of things. Yeah. And and um and and it's it really isn't how we were designed. It's not how we were made as image bearers. It's not how we're made to be in relationship with each other, how we're made to support those who are less fortunate and 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 work towards a common good. Um, these are all, you know, as you said, we, we we complain about the things that we don't have or the things we wish that we had it better or that the proverbial Joneses up the road have better than we do, as opposed to really being grounded in what matters and what is really important, which is to be in that relationship with God and to love God and love neighbors as we love ourselves. And it, it does take kind of getting moved out of your, your comfort zone, or, you know, maybe it takes somebody close, like your mother dying, like it did for me, or going on these different yeah. trips. And, and one of the really, one of the other really neat things about gratitude is, you know, gratitude has a, a scientific physical benefit to it. The more that we express gratitude, our brain literally rewires itself to the good. And this whole idea Amen. of neuroplasticity and, and there's incredible science that goes right along with all the experiential benefits that we know about it. And so the more gratitude we put out there, not only the more that comes back, but literally the better environment our brains and our bodies are able to exist in. You know, Bill, uh, perhaps another subject for another day, but over the last 25 years, I, I've kind of kept an eye on the psychological research about the mm -hmm. benefits of being thankful. And right. I mean, just volumes of, of academic papers talk about the benefits, not only emotionally and psychologically, but even uh, mm -hmm. physically, the benefits right. of, of cultivating a grateful spirit. But um, let me ask you this, your first 24 hours in Nicaragua, what, what were some of the main thoughts that went through you? you you've just set down mm -hmm. your first trip there, and what were you thinking? 
Right. Well, boy, it was, uh, you know, they, they used the expression sort of the, the, the trip leaders about wanting to get us out of our comfort zone. And uh, man, yeah. oh man, was I out of my comfort zone. Um, and, and I talk about sort of, you know, the, the book is broken into six parts and each part talks about one day of the mission, but then it also talks about a faith tenant that sort of aligns with that day that feeds into this idea of love and relationships and unvarnished faith. But, you know, we, we went to the trash dump, met Maria, saw all that. Um, we did an amazing, amazing exercise that I've done on, on the various international mission trips I've done where um, we wash the feet of those who are going to be serving us for the week. So the, the wow. local uh, organization, the local you know, ministry that, that hosts us, um, we wash their feet to get the, the week started. And that is a really profound experience, even more profound than when I've done it in my church community. Um, because we are literally serving those who are serving us. Um, and and I, I remember being emotional, you know, sort of at the moment of it. Um, so, yeah, just a, a lot of amazing changes. But then the other thing, too, is that the, the first trip I went on is I was a chaperone for a group of high schoolers. And uh, so ostensibly, I was there to support their ministry and their their mission work. Little did I know I'd get as much or more out of anybody. But seeing the way that they immediately connected to these young children in country and the way the young children connected to them it had nothing to do you know they were they were spanning a little bit of age but they were spanning race they were spanning geography they were spanning socioeconomic differences um you know they had a shared faith but children aren't maybe necessarily as vocal about that but just to yeah. see that human connectionness you know to be more childlike we're called and to see yeah. children actually doing that right in front of me was really uh it was really just an, an incredible, I'll, I'll remember that first day of that first trip for the rest of my life for sure. Well, you, you know, that that's an unforgettable thing. And isn't it a beautiful thing, Bill, the way, because look, I mean, people are people and children connect with children. Young people mm -hmm. can empathize. Uh, we, we've done that, uh, my wife and I, and the church groups that we've worked with and some Christian universities, we've taken kids to other countries. Um, in fact, one of the biggest undertakings that I had the privilege of helping with Focus on the Family in 2008, uh, mm -hmm. believe it or not, we took 400 teenagers and 200 adults, a total of 600 people in our entourage, and we spent two and a half weeks in Peru. Uh, wow. And it, I mean, it has its own set of uh, cultural and geographical dynamics, but watching middle school and high schoolers you know, play ball and play soccer mm -hmm. and ultimately mm -hmm. share Jesus with the Peruvian yeah. kids. Um, right. there's, there's just a human bonding that, that can take place. And that's a beautiful mm -hmm. thing because my point is we're, we're all not so different after all, are we? Right, right. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and one of the things we observed, by the way, I can't believe you took 600 people for two and a half weeks. Wow. Um, <laughs> but one of the things we it observed is one of our missions, one of our missions was to a church and in this church community, there were maybe 200 children all gathered together, you know, playing soccer. We did tattoos and all that. But then when it came time to feed them and we prepared our food, um, all 200 kids sat in their lap and waited for the 200th child to be served and for a prayer to be said before any of them started eating. And we don't know, you know, the last time they ate, whether it was that morning or the day before or a few days. But but to see that patience and that grace and calmness by these children, I, I can't imagine... 200 kids at a kindergarten in, in the States who had breakfast, you know, three hours earlier waiting like that. So it was pretty amazing. Sure, sure. Well, you, you mentioned something about your mother's passing. And mm -hmm. 
very often a, a major life moment like that can cause people to reflect and sort of take inventory and, and maybe make some course corrections. Um, what, what did that do in your life, um, the, the passing of your mom and sure. some of the ways that impacted you? Yeah, no, it was really, uh, it was really profound, Alex. Um, you know, as I said, you know, it was certainly sad losing my mom, seeing my dad, you know, be a widower and, and, and where that went. But um, it, it had me look at sort of stem to stern, everything I was doing professionally, personally, physically, certainly spiritually, um, and really, you know, just start to make changes and start to um, you know, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I have this awareness now of what was going on, which was God revealed, I discerned on the revelation. God reveals some more, I discern a little more. And it's this toggle that kind of goes back and forth. And certainly then and still today, I know I miss most of God's revelation to me. But when I'm able to pick up on the messages that I'm being sent and then discern the why and, and the how and the what out of those things, um, it, it's really led to a very different place. My, my health is significantly better than it was. My very you know, closest relationships are in a much more authentic place right now. Um, you know, I, I think I'm showing up more consistently to people now. You know, there, there's one thing to say that somebody's calmer or nicer or some of those things that I like to think I am, but I think it's really important when you can count on people to react certain ways in certain situations. And these earlier versions of myself, I probably was not as, as predictable as you know, people might like me to be. And then certainly from a from a, a service and a vocation perspective, um, you know, having the the experience and, and the benefits of, you know, being part of a large family business has opened up networking opportunities, has opened up service opportunities, has opened up, you know, the ability to, to share time, talent and treasure with with underserved populations in ways that really is, is gets me very excited, brings me a lot of energy. You know, we have that whole idea of, you know, there's there's an ego part to altruism. Um, yeah, and and I enjoy be. doing it and I feel good about it. And uh, and I'm excited to see where that's going to continue to go from here. So and it really does all in my temporal journey trace back to my mom's passing. You, you know, the day after Thanksgiving was Black Friday, uh, mm -hmm. the biggest or one of the biggest retail days of the year. And they've stretched it now to, you know, Black Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, yesterday, right. you know. Uh, sell, 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 retail. And uh, I was reading in the news, though, over the weekend, Bill, that, you know, be between 9 and $11 billion is spent on mm -hmm. Black Friday. But they said si since 2006, an average of one person a year dies in a Black Friday stampede. Wow. Which, I mean, that's... in. in in my heart, I mean, that's just very ironic because the start of the right. Christmas season, the coming of Christ, and yet to get to sales, we would stampede over each other. Um, just having been around the world, serving mm -hmm. others, you, you've gone to, you know, developing nations and cultures that, like you say, they, they just couldn't understand the opulence that we have. Right. What, does right. that, what does that do in your heart when you hear about an average of somebody a year dying being stampeded over in a Black yeah. Friday sale. Yeah, Comment just, on that it, you... it, it's just, it's sad, Alex. I mean, it, it's a sad state of affairs. It's a sad situation. Um, and not to mention the fact of let, let's just divert 10% of that, which would be a billion dollars towards aid, towards, you know, 
serving our, our, our underserved sisters and brothers, wherever it might be, locally or, or regionally, internationally, whatever the case might be. Yeah, it, it's it's sad, but I also recognize that, you know, a lot of people for a whole bunch of different reasons just don't have the opportunity to experience life outside of their circle. And and there's so much from, from the media and so much from entertainment and so much from the digital age and social that reinforces these practices. And uh, it really turns into this kind of treadmill thing. So, you know, so our, our version of Black Friday this year was the first half, my I have three young adult children, uh, we went to a, a local outreach center and we served lunch to some of our underserved uh, sisters and brothers in our local community where we happened to be for Thanksgiving. And, and mm. that was a very moving time. And what was neat for my children was not, or as much as it was to interact with the people who were unsheltered or, or at best undersheltered who were coming in for a warm meal was for them to interact with the more full-time volunteers and understand what these people's journeys were like. And then we spent the afternoon, um, my wife and I own and operate a small seasonal business. It's actually a miniature golf course. And so even though it was oh. uh, November in New Jersey, we opened up our miniature golf course and we got to bring a little joy to the community for young families and kids to go play miniature golf. So um I probably stepped into a store at night at some point, but I, I'm hoping I didn't bring my credit card out. Although, I, yeah, I don't uh, think I did. So, well, I've got to ask you: Does the miniature golf course have a website? It does. Go fish mini golf. So, which is very funny. So, gofishminigolf.com is the website, and uh, it's ironic that we bought this in the midst of all this faith journey stuff going on. And of course, you know, the whole idea of you know, going from fishermen to fishers of men, and yeah. we buy a golf course called Go Fish. So. So, so uh, is it one of these classic, like a, a, a miniature, you know, uh, little uh, golf course, you know, putt putt right. kind of you thing? Know, we, we've got the windmill, we've got the mermaid's tail, of course, we've got the tugboat you hit through, the treehouse, yeah, yeah the, the big grouper that swallows up your ball. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. that that is such classic Americana, uh, mm -hmm. folks. We've got a break coming up. Having a great time visiting with Bill Yo. He's the author of Unvarnished Faith, a book that I would highly recommend you read. And we're going to take calls. We've got a break in just a moment, but the number for phone calls and questions is going to be 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. And of course, tell people, if you would, about truthandliberty.net, truthandliberty.net. You can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe. Keep up with the articles and the content. So many things on the website that we think would help you uh, and help uh, promote the message of, of God and country, our faith, and all the things that are such a blessing. Bill, um, I also want to drill down a little bit and, and talk about business and how you balance mm -hmm. your walk with the Lord, your ministry to your family, uh, oversight of a business, but uh, a lot of things um, that the Lord is doing through you. Uh, what about for you, the author? Uh, is there a website for how people can find you online? Yeah, so there is still bill-yo.com, uh, and yo is Y-O-H, but you can also get there through un unvarnishedfaith.com, and, uh, and that will ultimately, through my bio, lead you to information on our family business, which is called Day and Zimmerman, and that's dayzim.com, D-A-Y-Z-I-M as in Mary, dayzim.com, and so my, yeah, my brothers and I are third-generation owners of a, of a large family business that does a number of different technical and professional services and solutions, and uh, you know, very proud to be an owner of there. Very proud to have my two brothers that are still full-time operators of the business. And, um, 
you know, we, we just try to, to, you know, create good experiences and career paths for our employees and successful projects for our customers and, and therefore enrich the communities that we happen to operate in. So in, even though it's a secular world and a secular environment, a lot of my faith ethos, I feel like I could still get to stretch those muscles when I'm engaged in our business as well. Sure, sure. Uh, and that's that's just wonderful that uh, a family business here in the 21st century, it's, uh, right. kind of a rare right. thing, I would suppose, isn't it? Yeah, there aren't very many of us. They say about uh, when you get to the third or fourth generation, the fourth generation, which we just now have entering, only about four or five percent of the companies make it that far. So, Wow. Fascinating. Now, uh, well, we've got a break, folks. Stay tuned. This is Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland with our guest, Bill Yo. Stay tuned. We're back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. created with a purpose, written in the heart of God, long before you were born. He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Hey everybody, Richard Harris here. I wanted to let you know that the Truth and Liberty live call-in show is now on Twitter. You can watch us there at 3.30 Mountain Time, 5.30 Eastern Time, five days a week. Just go and follow us on Twitter at Truth and Liberty Co. That's C-O. And remember, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So don't miss out. Watch us live on Twitter. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here along with our guest, author, business owner, mission traveler, and poet, Bill Yeo. He's the author of Unvarnished Faith, which is an award-winning book. Uh, Bill, you, you won, was it the like gold award for nonfiction writing? Yeah, well, that my, my first book won a gold award for, yeah, by the Nonfiction Writers Association, um, and that was the book on my my father and on our family and business. Um, and then Un Unvarnished Faith, we're still in the, I guess, in the awards season for that. Um, yeah. You know, sort of our little Emmys or Oscars or something. So that the, the 2023 published books, I think those awards come out next year. So we'll see. But it is a best-selling, uh, number one bestseller on Amazon in, in about a half dozen different categories. So we're real proud of that. Well, congratulations and uh, best wishes for a possible award there. Folks, the number is 719-619-2341. Hey, let me give you an update on some uh, things at uh, Karis that are coming up in the month of December, the Heart of Christmas performance, 8, 9, and 10, 8 through 10, Karis Bible College. Okay, it's 7 p.m. Friday. There's a matinee Saturday and Sunday. And you can go to awmi.net. Folks, I've seen The Heart of Christmas several years. It, it will just blow you away. It's so beautiful. Uh, Elizabeth Murin and the whole drama department at Karis. 
Uh, no kidding, folks. It will rival anything you would see on Broadway. I mean, it, it just is that good. The scenery, the staging, the acting, the music, the production values, all of your Christmas favorites, and always just an amazing story, the story of Christmas, a lot of memories and family scenes, plus the story of the coming of Jesus. You don't want to miss the heart of Christmas. Then also at Karis, the live nativity, December 15, 16, and 17. I've been to that as well, 6 to 8.30 every night. And there's no ticket required. And look, how's this on a, a wonderfully crisp December night, free hot chocolate. And let, let me say, I was there last year for the live nativity, and there were hundreds of people coming through, and the children are just amazed. Live animals, the whole scene of Christmas, that's December 15 through 17. And you can learn more about that at awmi.net, as in Andrew Womack Ministries International, AWMI. And uh, let me encourage you, spread the word about truth and liberty. I was on the road, I told you this last week, but I went in a a uh, convenience store to get uh, a drink. I was driving down I-40, and there up on a screen in the middle of a convenience store was Truth and Liberty on the screen. And uh, so the ministry is growing. The impact is spreading. Be a part of it. Tell people about truthandliberty.net and all of the great content that we have on here, like our guest tonight, Bill Yo. Uh, Bill, I've, I've got to ask you, on your own website, do you have any of your poetry up? I do. Yes. Yeah. I have probably about a, a half dozen of them up there that have uh, come to me over, over the, over the years. Yes. Yeah. So, so growing up, you must've been a reader who influenced you, if I may ask. You know, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of, a lot of other writers that I talked to were, were voracious readers when they were younger. I, I really wasn't, to be honest with you. Um, I read, you know, I certainly, you know, went to a very strong high school and we read, Tom Sawyer, we read Shakespeare, we read sure. Ken Kessie, we read, a, we read a lot of different, you know, from, from different genres of literature and stuff, but most of my reading and, and quite honestly, most of my writing for my adult life was in the business world. And, um, you know, a lot of that reading and writing is, is more, you know, executive summaries, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, almost like sort of a, a preacher might do. But, but then I learned, you know, writing a book, even if it's a, a nonfiction book, writing a story is, is it's more about telling a story and developing characters and, and, and creating a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe intrigue or, or, or anticipation on different things. It was a very different style. Uh, and then once I adjusted that, it became a, you know, a very different thing. And then, you know, as, as, as you know, writing poetry is even different than writing prose in long form. And, and even the time of day I write those things is different. And, the circumstances of it, but uh, but now I am a, a voracious reader, and I try and, and toggle between you know reading something that's faith based and or you know more sort of uh, biographical, and then something that might be more fictional or a little more. And, and the, the idea is I'm going to have a pen in my hand on the one, and, and try and not have a pen in my hand on the second. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was uh, at a seminar with a number of writers, had the privilege of speaking at a couple of publishing seminars. I heard a man say this, I'd love your thoughts on this. Uh, this one writing coach, he said, if you want people to know the truth, tell them the truth. But if you want mm. people to love the truth, tell them a story. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's true, isn't it? People oh, it, resonate with, yeah. and they remember stories. 
Right. It, it's 100% true. It's, it's the oldest form of communication from when people drew on cave walls and uh, it applies in business, it applies in sales, it applies in preaching, it applies in, in, in raising children. Um, and one of the really interesting things, you know, particularly in more of kind of maybe a business or academic kind of thing is some of the research that I've seen would show that you could either convey a point through using a bunch of data or you could convey, convey a point by telling a story, or you convey a point by telling a story with just peppering in a little data. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might think like, oh, well, that middle one, that sounds like the right way to go because, you know, those data points will help amplify the story. Well, the reality is the listener or the reader's retention is highest when it's just the story, mm -hmm. when those data points kind of don't get in the way. So, so yeah, telling a good story, letting people empathize into that story, letting them identify with those characters, um, and, and that's something in, in my books that I've really tried to focus on is how do I develop these characters? They're real people, so I'm not literally developing them, but I am developing them in the eyes and the mind of the reader by what facets of their personality and their experience and our life journey, you know, I unveil and in what order those things get unveiled. And, yeah. and all of that just makes for a rich, rich story that can transcend, Again, all those things we talked about, it can transcend race and gender and socioeconomic difference because stories of the human condition and of human inter interaction and all of us being image bearers of God can be totally unifying. Well, and there, there are stories all around us. Uh, and I, I know this is uh, not exactly what you and I were kind of uh, queued up to talk about, but I know we have people watching that are involved in church and, you know, uh, everybody wants their church to grow teachers want to lead their groups and lead them effectively. Um, I think about this, Jesus came speaking parables and the most right. important message right. in history, the kingdom of God and how to get in. And Jesus told stories. Do you have a word of encouragement for preachers or teachers or group leaders and people who want to communicate more effectively? What advice might you give, Bill? Yeah, I would, Alex, thank, thanks for asking that. I would say that tell the stories that most resonate with you as the, as the speaker or the writer. Um, and whether they're, whether they're stories from the Bible that most resonate with you or stories from your own life or stories that you observe, but the more I think we can align who we are, like who we really are, not just kind of mentally what's going on, but who our whole personhood is with the stories that we convey. Um, the more compelling that's going to be, the more human will come across, the more vulnerability we'll have the chance to express. You know, I, I have some things in, in Unvarnished Faith that, you know, I had to discern, you know, for, for weeks about, well, do I really want to put this in there? Because, boy, this is really kind of me, you know, putting myself out there. And, and I say, thank God. And I say, thank God, literally, that I put those things in there, because those are some of the points in the book and the stories in the book to this topic that I've gotten the most feedback from people and the most resonance from people about, thank you for sharing your story there because I've had a similar experience, similar struggle, similar challenge to the one you've had, so. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure you recall the filmmaker, Alfred Hitchcock, fascinating mm -hmm. individual. But uh, I'm thinking of two quotes that I could share, but I'll share one. Hitchcock said, good filmmaking is knowing what to leave out. Mm -hmm. uh, in a way, good writing right. and good, good uh, teaching it would be similar, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. It, it'd be, uh, so, so this book is, let's call it 165 pages, 180 pages, something along those lines. Um, maybe it's long, I don't remember, but, but the mm -hmm. idea, it would have been much easier to write a 500 page book or a thousand page book. 
And, you know, I'll, I'll see your Anthony or your Albert uh, Hitchcock quote with a Mark Twain quote. You know, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have enough time. And wow. um, so, you know, and, 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 you know, preachers, writers, columnists, journalists, uh, academics, uh, you know, you name it. There's a lot of punch to have something written shorter that's more effective. Now, the other thing that's interesting with that, though, that I've noticed is depending on the style of writing and the, the density of the writing, whether it's something that's sort of light and pithy, you can move quickly through or something that's really engaging. Sometimes a shorter piece can feel longer to the reader or the listener if it's dense and sort of really challenging or maybe doesn't flow real well, whereas something that's very elegantly and eloquently conveyed could be twice the length and people felt like it, it sped by. And then certainly I think uh, preachers, that's a real testament to good preaching that they, that they can go long and it can feel short, but they can go short and it can feel long too. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's that old saying that so many church services start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. Um, <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think about this. The church, um, and I love what you said. You know, regardless of the um, the denomination, and there are many denominations, but we we agree Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he mm -hmm. came to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible over and over talks about by putting our faith in in Christ, we are forgiven of our sins. Um, the greatest story ever told, and. Mm -hmm. In a way, it might seem daunting, but isn't it a thrilling assignment, thrilling, thrilling mm -hmm. job that in every generation, believers have the privilege of telling our generation the greatest story? Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I was in college, Bill, when I became a believer, and I remember I was mm -hmm. an English major, and I, you know, I'd been steeped in the classics and reading great literature, and I remember reading the Bible. And, you know, God created, God called Abraham, the nation of Israel emerged, Christ came, fulfilling all the prophecies, born in a manger, rose from the dead. And I remember I, I pushed back one day, I was reading, I said, oh my goodness, Shakespeare wishes he could have written mm -hmm. a story this good. And right, right, oh, P.S., right. it's true. All that mm -hmm. to say, isn't it a thrilling assignment that we get to make this story come alive for right. our generation. It really, uh, it really is. And just, gosh, so many things to react to from what you just said. Um, you know, one of the things I love seeing is, and sometimes you'll see this graphically depicted, the number of connections between and among different books of the Bible through, through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and literally almost incomprehensible how complex these things are and how much they're tied together. And the one and only character in, 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 in the entire Bible who could do that perfectly was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And uh, anytime the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes would, would sort of, you know, misinterpret that, that ancient scripture, he, he would get them back on the right path. And as you said earlier, sometimes he'd do it by the simplest of parables, but they'd be so, so profoundly simple way he'd be able to do that. And so I, I'm involved in a number of different small groups and men's gospel reflections and Bible studies. And, and it, the, the more I'm involved in these, the more time in those hours together, we want to focus in the word and on the word and letting the word be broken open. And, and, you know, I talk with, with folks about, you know, I love, if I read it a couple nights before I try and pay attention to kind of what, what, what phrase or word jumps out to me. And if I read it that morning before we get together, what other phrase or word jumps out? And then in the moment, what word or phrase? 
and thinking, okay, what's the Holy Spirit putting on my mind and more importantly on my heart differently in each one of those places? And then when you when you share that in fellowship with other believers and you hear the different words and phrases that are put on their minds and their hearts, and you're literally reading the word of God when you're doing that, it, it's a really, really powerful experience. And then the last thing I'll say on a much lighter note, so I'm a, I'm a child of the 70s and of the 80s. So the, the center square uh, movie trilogy was Star Wars. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the original trilogy, not not the, 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 the prequel three, but yeah. I mean, there's no more obvious template of <laughs> the greatest story ever told than than the force and the, the, the dark side and the light side and salvation and, and evil and good. And, and, you know, how everything boils down to one or the other, because the older I get, I kind of think that's the case. Everything does boil down to one or the other. Well, well, it really does, and, and I think that's why the great stories, um, uh, you know, uh, the the good guy versus the bad guy, the good guy is down for the count at the the critical climactic moment, the good guy prevails, good uh, reigns, and evil is vanquished. I think the reason those kinds of stories speak so deeply to our soul is because that's actually the story we're in, isn't it? Right, right. And I think another reason why it does also is that, um, you know, I, I would submit that even the most devout, consistent believer in the world, at some point, because we're human, has to have some wonder about, well, what's next? You know, e even if we're committed to and believing in that eternal glory and where things are going and how it's all going to go, at, at some point there has to be this micro doubt but in these stories, you get to see the next play out for the most part. You get that Hollywood ending, or you get, for the most part, that resolution of the plot that is consistent with where we think we're headed after this, mm. after this pilgrimage. Amen. Uh, this is Truth and Liberty. Our special guest tonight, Bill Yo, author, uh, communicator, mission trip leader, and business owner, Bill Yo. And he's the author of Unvarnished Faith, a book that I would highly recommend. We're going to take some calls. And again, listeners, if you have a question for Bill tonight, uh, could be on topic or, or just a question. The number is 719-619-2341. We'll begin tonight in South Carolina. Linda, a frequent guest and supporter of the show. Linda, thanks for listening and welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you. I want this retired English teacher wants to thank both of you for the writing that you do and sharing it with the world. We need more writers like both of you. I also want to thank both of you for the mission trips that you have done. And that is so encouraging to others. And hopefully it will spark an interest in them to want to also go on mission trips. I went with our church on a mission trip to Cuba in 2018. I knew basically no Spanish, but that didn't matter. Those people, and we were not in the tourist areas. We were in the forest areas of Cuba, in southeastern Cuba, close to Guantanamo Bay. And it was just amazing how thankful those people were. The teachers made $10 a month for their salary. We had a doctor, a medical doctor, who took a week off from his job at the hospital to be our chauffeur. He only made $35 a month. Many times mm. they would go to the grocery store and the shelves were empty. They had food rationing books like we had here during World War II. 
that I just encourage anyone to go anywhere they can on a mission trip. The blessings that you receive have to be multiplied numerous times more than what those people have received. But it's just such a blessing to be the hands and feet of God um, on those foreign soils. And so I just want to thank both of y'all for all that you do in that, that area and encourage others to do that as well. Well, yeah, God no, bless you. That's an amazing story, and and certainly, I think one any of us have a chance to do that can share with. So, so thanks for sharing that journey. God Welcome, bless you. Thank you. God bless you, uh, uh, Linda and Bill. I've got to tell you this story. Uh, a few years ago, the Billy Graham Ministry had a big gathering in Amsterdam. Uh, Bill, I don't know, you might have even been to this, but there were ministers and missionaries and relief agencies and groups from all around the world, probably 10,000 people convened in Amsterdam in the Netherlands for this big Billy Graham summit. Do you remember that, Bill? I don't, no, no. So, so listen to this. You could stay in a hotel in Amsterdam and, and that was, you know, for me, it was kind of expensive. Or you could stay at a place called Yarbers. And so I just, I said, okay, I'll stay at Yarbers. Well, Yarbers, because there were 7,500 men, uh, it was kind of a heavy equipment warehouse. And it was this big steel building that they'd emptied, and they put 7,000 steel cots. And I mean, as far as you could see, there were just cots. And we're going to be there two weeks. We're going to go hear some teaching, and then we're going to fan out through Amsterdam and minister to people, drug users, mm -hmm. prostitutes, people on the street. Well, I get there, and, and my plane was delayed in London, and so by the time I got to Yarbers in Amsterdam, I had been on the road about 36 hours with without a bath, and man, I was tired. So we take this train, and we get to where we're going to stay. And I got to tell you, as a pampered American, I was mm. a little taken aback. Now, on every cot was a, a loaf of bread, a big block of cheese, and a whole bunch of mm -hmm. bottles of water. It was mm -hmm. to say that it was Spartan is an understatement. And and thousands of cots. So some guy from Texas, he looks at me, he goes, "Hey, you want to go in together and get a hotel room?" And I said, yeah, tell you what, let's do. We'll ride the train back to Amsterdam. Uh, look me up. We'll, we'll go in half and we'll get a hotel room. Suddenly, I see a little man. He was from India. And he didn't look like us and he didn't smell like us. And he gets his loaf of bread and he's looking at it. He gets this block of cheese. He's staring at bread and cheese like it's you know, an asteroid from another world. And all of a sudden I watched this Indian man fall down weeping. And he was saying, oh Lord, thank you, thank you. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you. Wow. And, and I watched this guy weep. Uh, this, this cot had a, a puddle of tears. And mm -hmm. I got very convicted. And I said to my Texan friend, I said, look, I'm, I'm gonna stay here. I, I, frankly, I don't even feel worthy because I watched people from over 100 nations. Uh, they were weeping tears of gratitude yeah. over yeah. a block of cheese. Bill, things like that are very convicting, aren't they? Oh, man, they sure are. And I'm sure Linda feeling the same way. That uh, 
And, and it just has you appreciate, you know, as I mentioned earlier, what where we think true wealth is, isn't there. So the, the, the subtitle of my book, which we haven't talked about yet, is Learning to Love with a Servant's Heart. And my okay. brother and his wife's food ministry is called Ser uh, Servants with a Heart. And the whole idea about, you know, emulating Christ's servant's heart. Um, and it just, when you learn to love, you know, the, the whole idea of in mission work or being engaged in ministry, being engaged in deploying your talents and gifts, that if you're learning to love with that servant's heart, everything just keeps coming back to that. And it keeps coming back to all the non-material things. And the material things just keep ticking lower and lower and lower down on the list. To the point where I and I'm sure you and many other people, you, you you kind of return home and you have these almost like existential crisis about whether it's the airport or the car. <laughs> when we went to Kenya, uh, you know, I don't know, several years ago, uh, the the local you know Baptist pastor who would sort of host us at night for dinner and he and his wife would cook or his wife would cook and they had the family dog and the family dog was was skinny, but was healthy and fun and and the family dog ate once a night or once a day, ate at night, whatever the humans didn't eat, went in the corner of the yard and the family dog got that. If there were, you know, some bones left with some meat on them, good for the family dog. If there was just the, the stump of a head of lettuce, that's all the family dog got. But the dog was fine. The dog was happy. It was healthy. I remember flying into to JFK Airport in New York and driving down the New Jersey Turnpike back to Pennsylvania and passing this million square foot pet food manufacturing building somewhere in you know north or, or central new jersey and just again having that kind of existential oh my goodness what are we doing what are we mm. doing here you know for for pets here when when you know humans in 80 percent of the world don't get food coming out of a place that that's sort of modern so for sure very convicting uh, thank you for that call linda uh karen in washington state Karen, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty and our special guest, Bill Yo. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Um, un unfortunately, I have heard now that even the Baptist Church is considering taking in LBQXMPY gay people. Do you know if there's any truth to that, or am I hearing poetry? You, you know... Um, I don't know. Uh, let, let me just say this. Nowadays, even within denominations, I'll give you a quote that was in a Christian magazine recently. It says, gone is the ability to think Christianly in common, even within one denomination. Now, I know the Baptists, for example, and there are several strains of Baptists in America. There are the Southern Baptists, which is probably the largest, and there are American Baptists. Uh, I don't know that you can paint with a broad brush and talk about the entire denominations. There are individual churches that have been very, um, you know, resolute in standing for biblical morality and against, you know, uh, wokeness and, you know, LGBTQ trans ideology. There have been other churches that have have really been very pro-gay, pro-LGBT. Here's the thing. Um, there are concerns, like, for instance, the Methodists, the United Methodists. And I, and I, I guess, Karen, I can speak a little bit to this because uh, God's allowed me to speak in about 2,000 American churches. And uh, there are denominations that skew to the left, like the PCUSA and the, the UMC. 
and they can have very conservative churches in those denominations. On the other hand, by and large, the Southern Baptist, the SBC, has been pretty conservative. And yet within an otherwise conservative denomination, um, there are churches that aren't conservative. And so I guess for those, I, I think you have to sort of take it on a church-by-church basis. And if you're looking for a biblical church that not only, you know, is impacting people positively, but is true to the Word of God, um, I would encourage you, don't just look at the denominational label, but visit a church and try to really find out kind of what the, the temperature is in the church, because any more things are so fragmented I don't know that you can make a blanket statement about about any denomination, really. Bill, did you want to speak to that at all? You know, I'll, I'll come in on one thing you talked about, about the differences within those denominations and even the differences within those churches. And, and you know, in my in my parish, in my local church, we have a men's group and we, we meet every week. We reflect on the gospel readings. And and even within that group, we know we're you know geographically the same. We're the same faith. We follow the same you know tradition. Yet we have a, a broad gamut of liberal to conservative, socially, theologically, religiously, uh, politically. But, you know, we, we recognize that, you know, we were all created in the image of God and we were created differently intentionally. And we were created and designed to be together, not in light of our, not in spite of our differences, but in light of our differences to be in relationship with one another. So um, that, that idea of discernment that you mentioned to Karen, I think makes a lot of sense. And I'm advising somebody now who's looking for a new church community and said, draw a circle around your house and figure out how many miles you want to drive on Sunday and go sit in each one of those churches for, for, for a service or two and see where you feel the most nourished on the walk out. If you don't feel nourished, don't go back. If you do, maybe think about ordering off that menu again. Huh. Well said, ordering off that menu. Now, I've got a couple of other things I want to say on this, including uh, my interactions with uh, some atheists. But this is Truth and Liberty. We've got a brief break coming up. For those on hold, and I've got some questions that have come in online, but the number is 719-619-2341, the website truthandliberty.net. Our special guest, Bill Yo, author of Unvarnished Faith. And uh, we'll talk about the subtitle and the book's content and what God can do in and through our lives to bless others as well. Stay tuned, we're back after this. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're gonna learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. 
That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. Welcome back to the program. Alex McFarland here. We're going to resume calls in a moment. Our very special guest is Bill Yo. And uh, just a, a little self-promo here, if you'll indulge me. This Sunday, December 3rd, the first Sunday in Advent, by the way, I'll be at Church for All Nations. Dr. Mark Cowart, who is a frequent part of Truth and Liberty, uh, Church for All Nations in Colorado Springs, Colorado on Templeton Gap Road. I'll be, be there in all services on Sunday. I think it's a total of four services from 9 a.m. up to mid-afternoon. Uh, always, we have an amazing time at Church for All Nations, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Mark Cowart for inviting me. I look forward to being there. And so if you happen to be in the Colorado Springs area, we call it the Front Range, there at the base of the Rocky Mountains, I would love to meet you. And of course, it'll be streamed online. You can Google Church for All Nations. Also, I do want to uh, uh, ask for prayer. I'll be speaking at Karis uh, for the first two weeks of December. I'm teaching uh, American exceptionalism. This is part of our School of Practical Government, really the philosophical foundations of the U.S. Constitution. And what has made America unique? I'll be teaching that, and then I'll be teaching Maximum Communication, our speech class, and that does include a unit on media and, and interviews, press releases, things like that. Karis Bible College, the School of Practical Government, the School of Ministry and Missions, Business. Of course, there's the, the drama and audio production. Folks, it is such an exciting thing to see what God is doing in and through Karis. And then, of course, the Biblical Worldview series. We've put out True Foundations, a Biblical Worldview Response to Racism, uh, Biblical Facts About Heaven, Hell, and Eternity. Let me encourage you, on the AWMI website, there are so many, literally thousands of hours of teaching, everything from understanding God's Word to leadership development to you just becoming everything that the Lord designed you to be. And let me encourage you, whether it's in pursuit of a degree or just for personal enrichment, check out awmi.net or Karis Bible College, the website, and look at all that great content. And the reason I share that, folks, is because I'm going to give a quote by John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, this quote attributed to Wesley. It's a great quote. He said, those who read, lead. Isn't that great? And so don't ever sell yourself short about what God wants to do through you, but not only through you, but what God wants to do in you. And I give God the praise that I get to be a little small part of the, of the thousands and thousands of lives being changed by this ministry, uh, one of which is, is my own. But um, we're going to go to calls again. Uh, my home state of North Carolina on hold is Isaac from North Carolina. Welcome to Truth and Liberty, Isaac. It's nice to be here. Uh, well, uh, well, thank you for calling in, Isaac. Welcome. And what's your question? What happened to the to Mary, the mother of Jesus, after the resurrection? Wow, that is a really, really great question, Isaac. And uh, thanks for calling in, and thanks for listening. Well, let me cue this up, and Bill, I, I'll I'll throw it to you. I know that 
from the cross, the Lord said to John, uh, son, behold thy mother, and mother, behold thy son. So I, I think it was very significant that Jesus, even from the cross, was, was taking measures to make sure that his mother, Mary, would be looked after. Um, I, I don't know that we know too much beyond that. Um, Bill, do you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I... Um... I, I certainly am with you. Don't know too much beyond you know the the instructions to John and where that went, but presumably you know those those disciples and apostles were living in community, and so Mary would continue to be an incredibly important part of that. But what I like about Isaac's question, and this is one of the things I write about in in my book, is how transformational Jesus was and his earthly ministry was about holding up women uh, in ways that that ever before then, even ever since then, the world is not caught up to. And, and you know, at, at the time of, of Jesus's earthly ministry, you know, women were little more than livestock, had very few rights. Marriage was a, a contract, not a covenant. But from the very first moment to the very last moment of his earthly life, it was about women. The very first encounter we, we have is when Mary shows up at her cousin Elizabeth's house, they're both pregnant, and John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leaps with the with the with, yeah. with the power of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is there. There are no adult men there to witness that. We have all the stories throughout his his ministry of the woman at the well, the Seraphonician woman, Mary and Martha, Mary and the anointing of the oil, all these things. But at the most important moment, the the defining moment of Christianity, when Christ reveals his resurrected self, it is a woman or women, depending on the gospel narrative, that he chooses to reveal himself to. So, so from start to finish, and then at the very end with the comment to, to, to John about taking care of his mother, Jesus was always so incredibly equalizing and dignifying about women, and it's a model we still haven't caught up to 2,000 years later. So, Isaac, you even being curious about that, I think, is great, and your awareness of, of making sure that, that you are considering the experiences of girls and of women in your life as much as you are about boys and men. And, and Isaac, the part where Jesus from the cross says to John, says, you know, look after this woman as your own mother. That's in uh, John 19, the gospel of John 19, verse 27. And it says, from that hour, John took Mary to his own home as, as his mother. The other where Mary and Elizabeth visited, Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. Mary, obviously, the mother of, of Christ. That's in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 and following. And let me just say this, folks. Uh, Bill raises a great point about in the church, the early church, this is in the Roman Empire, uh, a fairly brutal culture. Life was cheap. Marriage, men would routinely violate their marriage vows. Uh, orphans, children with, with handicaps, and uh, very often baby girls were thrown away. Bill, I interviewed um, a twice Pulitzer-nominated sociologist, uh, Dr. Rodney Stark, mm -hmm. who is a Catholic historian and sociologist. He recently went to be with the Lord. Um, but he talked about how the church... Now, listen to this, folks, because this is transformative. Um, if you ask a lot of Christians, how did the church overturn the Roman Empire? And, you know, most Christians will say, well, because the tomb was empty, Christ was risen, and that was just this amazing transformative message. Rodney Stark said, yes, that's true. The tomb was empty, Christ is risen. 
and the gospel is transformative. But Rodney Stark said, you know, now it took, you know, 200 years. But what absolutely turned the Roman Empire upside down was the Christian's ethic of human life. And when people would throw away unwanted babies, Christians took them in to raise and love because every human being is made in the image of God and is worthy of love and respect. And Christians honored their marriage vows and Christians gave their employer a a full day's work and more. And Christians looked after the elderly. And I'll never forget this, Bill. Dr. Rodney Stark said to me in an interview, he said, Christianity turned the world upside down because it was just a better way to live. Mm -hmm. We can do it again. Am I right, Bill? Yes. Amen. For sure. It's a a moving story. And you, you also bring up, too, the idea that, you know, knowing history, knowing anthropology, knowing the geopolitical aspects of the time, a lot of people, you know, sort of the, if, if people want to make it either, it's it's either, you know, science or or faith or or, or religion or or something else, want to kind of make it this either or. But, but you know, what, what I think a true rich faith tradition can do is welcome science and welcome anthropology and lo- welcome all the things that can help triangulate and, under, and have us understand better the context of the time and the context of these actual true stories when they were happening. And, and do we have all the answers? And no, of course not. And there's things that don't make sense and things that we'll just never be able to recreate. YouTube wasn't around back then, so we can't go you know, to the eyewitness accounts. But the, the, more, the more of these other lenses and spotlights that are shown on these stories, the more rich they become, the more compelling they become. And you know, I think that, that uh, scholar you talked about was a great example of that. Isaac, thanks for listening. Thanks for calling in. I'm going to go to Missouri. Frank in Missouri, thanks for holding, and welcome to tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. You're on, Frank. Yeah, thank you. Uh, um, I, I got a question about alcohol in the in the church and why the liturgical churches um, don't allow their parishioners to... Uh, to uh, uh, have the choice between, uh, uh, you know, wine and, and or grape juice. Uh, you you mean like in communion uh, in uh, the Lord's Supper? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly. I mean, uh, I was in well in. Outside of the USA, I've been in churches that did literally use wine in communion and in here in the States uh, on the West Coast. Now, Bill, you feel free to share from your own experiences. I, I'm down here in the Bible Belt in the, the South. And for whatever reason, the South is just like really obsessive about abstinence from alcohol. So, uh, mm-hmm. The thing is, I know from pastoring two churches and speaking in 2000, the very same people that can be rigid about being teetotalers uh, kind of uh, surreptitiously in secret drink. Um, but, you know, okay. throughout church history, I- I'm just going to say, and I'm only commenting on the record of history, largely for a lot of church history, the communion juice really was wine. Um, but in other churches, it's just grape juice. Um, 
I, I don't know. Again, I think this might be a, just an area of Christian liberty that each church decides for themselves. But, Bill, do you have any comment on this? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, and, and the fact that he pointed out this, it's the liturgical churches. You know, the church is where you're actually going to have the bread and wine in the in the service. Um, so in, in the Episcopalian tradition, you know, a mainline Protestant tradition and the Roman Catholic tradition, it, it's wine. Um, now, uh, you know, life is very different in church service since the pandemic, because during the pandemic, when people weren't going to churches, um, you know, that was not part of it. And, and even for a long time afterwards, the wine was not brought back. There was still the, the bread. The host was consumed during the Eucharist, during communion. And by the way, even even the bread in some churches, they'll have a, a gluten-free version, you know, so kind of sometimes you might see one of the Eucharistic ministers go back to the smaller bowl. Um, yeah. But, you know, now I know our, our parish, for example, has just brought the cup back. But, um, you know, I would say that very few people are partaking of the cup. They've gotten used to just it being the, the host. But in those cases, it's wine. Um, but obviously, our church community, like every church community, has 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 people with addiction problems and people in recovery. And and certainly, I would That's never true. want to, you know, encourage those people to have to consume alcohol in, in, in any quantity, even if it's just a, a wedding at the whistle kind of thing. Um, and then I've been in other uh, church communities, other, again, mainline Protestant communities where they've had two trays and they've had a tray of sort of little little Dixie cups of wine and ones of, of grape juice. And, you know, people can kind of choose whether it's by age or by, you know, whatever their other disposition might be. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, the thing that I think about is important, uh, Frank, and that is a great question. But I, I love in 1 Corinthians uh, where, you know, 1 Corinthians 11, let me encourage people to read 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 32, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And uh, regardless of, of how the elements are distributed, I, I just think it's important for the church, it's been said, and this is not original with me, but when it's the the, the Lord's Supper or the communion, uh, we look backward, we look inward, we look outward, and we look upward. And again, this is not original with me, but we look back at what Christ did on the cross, the atonement for our sins. We look inward at the state of our own heart. We look outward at the call to ministry and those to whom we can minister. And then we look upward um, because he says, uh, this proclaims the Lord's death, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, till he comes. And um, Bill, isn't it a great reality? Uh, and that, that's why I've come to love the church in all of her permutations. First, mm -hmm. folks, First John 5, 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And I know that there are, Christianity comes in like Baskin Robbins in 31 flavors, but the Son of God, God the Son, gave his life on the cross for us. And then when we do the elements, the bread, the wine, Christ's body, his blood shed, I mean, it does remind us of the great price that was paid for our mm -hmm. redemption and the fact that he's coming again. Bill, don't you think it's very important that in worship um, we do this, that we're ever keeping yeah. before us the reality of Jesus and his redemption? A a absolutely. You're, you're a spokesperson for unvarnished faith. That's a, that's a principle of unvarnished faith that with all these different divides, and, and the caller's question was spot on about 
these different liturgical practices or ecclesial practices and, and different things, whether it's by denomination, whether it's by region, whether it's by pastoral preference, um, what it might be, but but knowing that those all those experiences, all those ways of being a community, all those ways of accessing the Holy Spirit are designed to bring us towards recognizing God's love and sharing that love with others and with other believers and, and with, with everybody. And, you know, one of the things that I say a little bit tongue in cheek in terms of my uh, perspective is that I am equally proud to be an uppercase C Roman Catholic Christian and a lowercase C universal Catholic Christian. With, with the word Catholic in its original form, you know, being universal and, and in the Nicene's Creed, Apostles' Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Amen. And, you know, my faith journey of being a lifelong Episcopal, lifelong Protestant, converted to Roman Catholicism, published a best-selling book about an evangelical mission trip. So, you know, kind of looking very ecumenically and interdenominationally at things. And then in my recent studies at Villanova, I had the chance to even study interfaith. So looking at other Abrahamic traditions, Eastern traditions, and recognizing how much commonality there is around that centrality of being in relationship with other people, ascribing to a higher power as a way to organize how we relate with other people, and that idea about treating other people the way we want to be treated and maybe in, in, inspect how they want to be treated. You know, these are all to me very core Christ principles, biblical principles that can transcend, you know, whatever your church might look like. And of course, we also know, um, and if I talk long enough, I know you'll go to the, uh, to the, to the scripture that, you know, Christ's intent of church was not bricks and mortar, but it was, Ooh, it was people and believers. It was, you know, you know, Peter is the rock on which the church will be built. And, and the church was about the people, not about these massive edifices and these marble altars and these mahogany shellacked uh, pews and all these kind of things. And, and, you know, having done the mission work that, that I have, and certainly far more that you have, you know, sometimes church in some of these places is at best a cross, you know, a tiny little cross hung on a tree and 50 people gathered around sitting in the mud or the dirt praying. Amen. Yeah. And a, a building is a tool. You know, I, I know um, people worship in storefronts. People worship under the shade of a, of a babinga tree. People worship in opulent cathedrals, but a building is a tool. But, um, let, let me change gears, and I want your response to something. Uh, Bill, do you remember the, the atheist? He was kind of famous, in fact, a bit notorious, Christopher Hitchens. Do you, does that name ring a bell? The name rings a bell. I don't know much about him, but definitely, yeah, that, that's a familiar name. He, he died about 11 years ago, and ultimately mm -hmm. the state of his heart, I don't know. We did email uh, right up until the time he passed. But mm -hmm. uh, we were in a debate. Uh, and he was he was an atheist. He had a, a book out. He was pretty influential. And we debated. Then I moderated a debate, and we were on the radio sparring. But ultimately, here's the thing that he said: because Christopher Hitchens uh, wrote a lot about the rise of Islamic terrorism and Hamas. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my goodness, that's since October seven been front yeah. page news all this fall. But ultimately, even Hitchens, who was an atheist said to me, we were on live radio in the spring of 2012, shortly before he died. He said, what would change the world is if the, the terrorist would convert to Christianity. And he mm -hmm. said, I don't say this as a Christian because he wasn't. I don't know if he ever became a Christian. I hope he did. But he recognized, he said, the thing that could tame the heart of a terrorist would be the mm -hmm. love of Jesus Christ.
And mm -hmm. I think it's significant, all of that, and I want to talk about the subtitle of your book, Bill. Um, sure. even, even an unbelieving world can't help but notice the power of the love of Jesus. Uh, mm. It would change the world, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, and 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 doing it one heart at a time, one person at a time, and and you know that you you make me think about evangelization and and you know what, that we're called to evangelize, the Great Commissioning, and um, in Acts. And for me, yes, there's something about going out there and and wanting to tell people about how great this is. And actually my, my pastor at, at my church really helped me understand this. And, and he said, if, if if this is the most beautiful way you could possibly live, why wouldn't you want to share that with the people you love and care about? And that really kind of took off the sort of salesman -y kind of shtick that I was that I was sensing to it. But more so, the way I like to evangelize is by the witness of my life. And and at, and at the end of a lot of uh, you know Catholic masses, either the, the the priest or the deacon will say, you know, the mass has ended, go forth, or they may say, the mass has ended, go forth and and proclaim the good news, or the mass has ended, go forward. But the one I like the most is the mass has ended, go forward and proclaim the good news by the witness of your life. Mm -hmm. And so if I can get to the point where people can say, huh, that guy, you know, there's something about him. There's there's a there's a, a presence to him, a calmness to him. There's a there's a kindness to him. There's an inquisitiveness to him. There's an other person orientedness to him. Even a little small little things, maybe they're not even um, maybe they're not even sort of consciously uh, coming up. But those those are the whole idea about learning to love with a servant's heart, and and mm. learning to be the arms and legs and the eyes and ears and the feet of, of Jesus. And and the more I can do that, frankly, just the better I am to be around. It's kind yeah. of just that simple. Amen. Well, you know, we've only got a few minutes left, and and I got to tell you, uh, Bill, just talking to you has uh, refreshed my heart and my soul. Uh, Christmas is coming, and as a pastor, I've I've counseled families that at Christmas, man, it's very sad. They'll get together as a family and have an argument or dredge up some long past baggage or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, we all, everybody wants the perfect, you know, uh, Christmas card picture. The, the table is set perfectly. The presents mm -hmm. around the tree, it's just the perfect, perfect thing. And then sometimes when reality is not that picture perfect image we have in our head, people, you know, uh, get depressed or even angry. So, as, as one who has seen the gratitude in the hearts of people who don't have it nearly as, as good as us, talk to us about making this Christmas joyful, regardless mm -hmm. of the material accoutrements. Uh, right. Help us right. know what joy is this Christmas season. Yeah, no, that's a, a beautiful thing. And what a, what a, what a lovely place to, to want to end on. And I'll actually, I'll begin where you ended with joy. And one of the distinctions that's really come to me recently is, is that joy and happiness, while they're related, are not necessarily, through a faith lens, synonyms of each other. That, that, that to be happy, happiness is something that may require some sort of an external stimulant or something to happen to you or something to go on around you, whereas joy, true joy, can only come through being really committed to your faith life and really being in relationship with other people through the power of God's love. And um, in, in the ministry training that I was able to do at, at Villanova during the pandemic, 
one of my spiritual advisors, you know, said that really your job as a minister, your job as somebody who's walking with the Lord is to identify the God within you and connect it with the God within that other person. And that connection is love. And so the more we can think about that at a time of year and, and, and pause to reflect about this Advent time of year, about hopefully not get caught up where we started to the, this conversation today about cyber shopping and Black Friday and all those kind of things, but, but get caught up in the real, the real beauty and the real love that this time of year has to do. And what, what it brings up for me, because our family, like every family and my friend groups, like every friend groups has, you know, those, those things that we sort of sweep under the rug and those things that we're challenged and dealing with is for me, it's, it's the idea of grace and the idea of mercy and, and giving each other grace, giving each other mercy. And just as importantly, giving ourselves the grace and mercy to know that, you know, on the recent walk we've been on, we've not been the best version of ourselves all the time. And how can we, through diving into the book in front of you, with, with being one with the word, with, with being one in prayer, with being one in community and in conversation with other believers, other, other sinners, other, other people with our collective brokenness, but go through that and just recognize, you know what, throw, throwing a little grace each other's way, a little mercy each other's way, and then throwing that back at ourselves, that can be a really beautiful, empowering way to bring us together around the things that matter most this time of year, as opposed to letting either materialism, the, the commercial side of things, or those, like you said, those little spats and things that get in the way of that Norman Rockwell kind of view that we all want to have, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that, that, that'd be a way to try and do that. So, Well, when we love people that aren't easy to love, well, that, that's an opportunity to try to be like Jesus, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, he loved them all. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, then there's always the quip about like, okay, I'm not saying you have to like them, but please love them, you know? So. Well, brother, you are a joy and you're, thank you for sharing your experiences with us. Um, we're, we're all learning from them. I uh, appreciate you taking the effort to share the journey uh, because I think it's helping everybody that reads your book and hears your, your content. It's helping all of us, the, your journey is helping enrich ours. Websites where they can find the book, uh, where they can keep up with uh, all that sure. you're doing. Tell us that. Yeah, so um, it's it's very simple. Unvarnishedfaith.com, just one word. Um, that is, uh, you know, you'll find information about the book. You'll find the link to Amazon. You can go get it on Amazon, Unvarnished Faith by Bill Yo. Um, you can also sign up for my newsletter. I send out various interviews and writings and publications and different things and sometimes excerpts of the book. And, and, and one thing with that, that, you know, I'll just kind of close with real quick is, you know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, I have my job, I have my family, I have my things, you know, I, I do a quarterly soup kitchen and I deliver turkeys at Thanksgiving. I need to do more of those things. And when I have the chance, what I say to people is yes, but also can you think about the ways you're already spending the majority of your time with your job, with your family, with the, the things you're doing in the local community and think about, consider, are those the ways that you're discerning and deploying your talents and gifts to serve others? And so maybe instead of thinking you only do those things once a quarter, maybe you're, you're really, if you can recast or relook at what you're already doing with the majority of your time and energy as your ministry. Your ministry can be a very scary term. Uh, unlike you, most of us will never minister from a pulpit or a pew. But if we're discerning and deploying our God-given talents and gifts to help other people, whether it's in our daily lives or whether it's in those once a quarter volunteer things, that's us doing what it is we're called to do and living into that, that faith and opportunity that we have. So I just wanted to leave with that. 
Amen. Amen. Uh, we, we, every Christian has a pulpit. It may or may not be up on a platform or a stage, but right. we've all, right. uh, in so many words, got a pulpit, don't we? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and every one of ours is different. And I, have a, I, I, I suspect the further into this all I get, our pulpit is much more familiar to us than we think it is. We think it has to feel very different than who we are normally. If, if we really live into who we are most natural and most ourselves and most relatable, that's, that's the pulpit, that's our ministry, that's where we're called to be. And that's how God created us. Uh, will there be a sequel to Unvarnished Faith? You know, um, nothing in the works right now, but, but what's been coming up a lot lately is getting involved in issues of homelessness and food insecurity and drug addiction and different kind of things. These are these unwinnable efforts, so sticking with the un thing, but, but I'm feeling very undaunted in our efforts to go after them and, and feeling about what the Apostle Paul says, do these things unceasingly. So, so who knows, maybe there's an undaunted faith uh, coming down the road, but, but uh, for right now, you know, just trying to, to go where I'm led and have the chance to speak to amazing folks like you. And I'm just really grateful for being with you today, Alex. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful for you and uh, Bill, uh, Godspeed. I hope we can visit again soon. Folks, you've been watching Truth and Liberty and, you know, this idea of unvarnished faith and being used by God. And life is not just something you endure, but it's, it's really an adventure. Uh, and there is joy in every day. When you give your life to Jesus Christ and you hand the, the, the reins of your life to the Lord, it really is a blessing not saying it's going to be problem-free always, but you know what? Jesus has a plan for your life. And we always say this, folks, and I don't want to close without saying this. The Lord Jesus is as close by as a prayer. John 6, 37, Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. In some translations, in no way will he reject you. If you call out to him today, turn to him. If you need spiritual help, the number is 719 Six three five eleven eleven. In the meantime, on behalf of this amazing crew, the Truth and Liberty crew that send out this signal five nights a week, they're amazing. You're amazing for watching. I say God bless you. Thanks for watching. And we look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.